Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. God to just touch us. I'm going to take my text from the book of Acts 9, but I'll read that in just a little bit. Let's pray and ask God to touch us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Oh, dear Lord, how we are so grateful for your presence and how you have blessed us, touched us. You've anointed us today, and I believe that you have brought us to this moment on purpose and for a purpose. And so I pray that we will that we will be very conscientious in our spirit to follow your leading, not only for me, but for our church family as well. Let us be sensitive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I want to preach to you from this subject today, which is a question that is posed by the Apostle Paul to the Lord himself. It is found in the book of Acts chapter 9. I'll get there in just a moment. But my subject today is derived from the question that Paul asked the Lord, what will thou have me to do? What will thou have me to do? This is, of course, a question that is posed at the very center of surrender. What will thou have me to do? In the book of Acts chapter 9, verses, uh, well, really all throughout this, but verses 1 through 7 specifically chronicles perhaps one of the greatest conversion stories of all time. Now, I, I don't want to say that and try to cast a shadow over, over your own particular conversion because I believe that any conversion that any of us have is a miraculous moment, that moment where we see the need for us to step forward with God. And sometimes other things may serve as a catalyst to get us rolling on the right direction and perhaps on the right highway. That may have been the home you were raised in or friends that invited you to church, perhaps other influences that we could name here today. But irrespective of how we started our lives getting pointed toward Calvary, there comes a time in all of our lives that we need to experience for ourselves our own conversion story. Amen. All of us walked here through a very on, on a very unique journey. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are to run, uh, not running these scriptures together, but Paul also alluded to the fact that we're to run the race that is set before us. And so scripture really does highlight a lot of individualism and how that we are all from different places in, in, on the earth and different places in our life, and yet God speaks to us. I'm thankful for the call of God, the call of God in young lives. At our children's ministry camps, there were several people, several young men and women that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the very first time. Amen. I don't discount what God can do in the heart and the life of a child. 
I received the Holy Ghost when I was nine years old at a youth camp. And so while I didn't have all the divine revelation that I was going to get and need, but I'm thankful that there was a start point. I'm thankful for that start point. And, and, uh, and so Jesus here, it talks about the conversion, or, or it is chronicled here in Acts 9, talks about the conversion of the apostle Paul. Jesus had just finished three and a half years of his earthly ministry. At this point, he has already been crucified, resurrected, and he has left the work of the church, the New Testament church, has been entrusted into the heart and the hands of his disciples. Now, on the other side of that coin, we have to understand that the Jews were completely convinced that Jesus was a farce and he was a blasphemer. And so they were even suspicious that the resurrection was little more than just a rumor. They thought someone had stolen his body and, and they had all their reasons for believing that there was nothing to this, that Jesus was just another Johnny come lately another fly-by-night ministry that, that flashed onto the scene of time, but they had taken care of him by hanging him cruelly on a cross. They were sure that, that, that nothing was done concerning, or there was no validity, should I say, to his resurrection. And because of that, this new message that Jesus was preaching and this new message that all the disciples had become intoxicated about, they must be destroyed we must put out the fire of, of this message. And so these facts bring us to the center of Acts chapter nine. And it's here we meet a man by the name of Saul. And this man has the authority of the religious command of his day. He had been given permission by them to destroy, to kill, to burn the homes of anyone that was a believer in Jesus Christ. This was a bl very bloody a very bloody moment in the history of mankind, certainly in the history of the church. To date, he had already been responsible for the stoning of Stephen. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter nine, he, is, he was, as a matter of fact, he was there. He was there when Stephen was stoned. And the Bible says he was holding the garments of those that were stoning and that he was serving as a witness. Now, I don't know how difficult it would be. I don't ever wanna find out how difficult and how heartless it must be for someone to just stand there and see another human being bludgeoned to death slowly but surely while he just held the coats merely of those that were doing that. Amen. In Acts chapter nine, he will find this man named Saul on the road to Damascus. He is on his way to kill more Christians. He is doing this in the name of religion. We need to understand that, that he thinks he's doing the right thing. But something interrupted his plans. He's traveling with a group of soldiers and they have letters in their hand that they're going to destroy this young church in Damascus. But then we come to Acts 9 and chapter 3. Chapter 9 and verse number 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now this physical encounter with God, and I do say that on purpose. It was a spiritual encounter, but this was also a physical encounter. And so this spiritual and physical encounter left the apostle, what would soon be the apostle Paul, left Saul completely shaken 
and it left him physically blind. From there, from that very moment, those that were with him had to lead him by the hand and they led him into the city. After that, they left him there. They left him there in two conditions. He meant not only was he helpless because he was blind, but he was also confused. He was helpless. He was blinded physically and could not even see how to make his way from point A to point B. But he is confused because of what was said in verse number nine. Because when the Lord had rebuked him in verse number four, asking him, why do you persecute me? In verse number five, the Bible says, he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now this was not a calculated question. These were not Pre, they were, these were not rehearsed words that were coming out of the mouth of Saul. He said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, we have to understand that, that Saul had spent the past few years of his life really believing that Jesus was an imposter, that these were just a little group of, uh, these were just a little band of gypsies, if you please, that are passing through city to city and they are causing nothing but chaos and havoc. But now he is confused because when he opened his mouth to address the Lord, he called him Lord, Lord Adonai, God of all. He is confused. The Lord made it clear to him that he didn't appreciate what he had been doing. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The truth of the matter is that God had stepped into the life of Saul and he had given him a divine interruption as never before. And to be honest with you, like you and I, he would never be the same. I believe that there are some in this house others that are listening to us by way of the internet, that you can attest that the Lord interrupted you one day. His spirit stepped down into your life. You may have been just having an ordinary day or just an ordinary season of your life when the spirit of the Lord interrupted you. Just going through life, not really considering eternity, and then something happened that changed your life. Something occurred to make you consider eternity. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God interrupted your life and truly got your attention? I'm not talking about he got your attention for a moment. He got your attention for a service. He got your attention during the song or during a sermon. But somewhere the power and the presence of God stepped into your life and God interrupted you to the point that your response was what would you have me do? I'm asking you today, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? Where would you have me to go? I'm thankful for the mercy of God. The mercy of God that comes our way in our lives, interrupts us. For some, that interruption may have been just as simple as the hand of conviction. Uh, somebody prayed an intercessory prayer in the middle of the night 
God just stirred your life and you realize I've got to do something about my soul and you got up and began to make preparations for that or it may have been some personal sickness or a tragedy to some degree. It could have been a loss of a job, maybe even a loss of a loved one. In truth, it really doesn't matter what it took to open your eyes. Amen. The end result is that our eyes were open and our lives were changed by the powerful hand of God. And to that I say to God be the glory. And there won't be anybody in heaven that's gonna be resenting if you had some tragedy that woke you up. You're not gonna be resenting somebody that only had the hand of conviction that stirred them. Because when we get to heaven, it's not gonna matter what it took. No price will be too high. No, no chasm will be too wide. No mountain will be too high. Amen, saying, Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that mercy walked in my life. Mercy may be sickness, but thank you, Lord, for mercy that walked in my life. Mercy may be something that rocks your world forever, but you're gonna look at it and say, God, I thank you for the mercy of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the mercy of the Holy Ghost. Our men that are involved in prison ministry, each of them can probably individually testify to the many people that we have met in, in prison that are filled with the Holy Ghost. And we may feel sorry for their confinement. And I'm sure if they had a choice, they would love to have freedom. But they have looked at us more than one time in our eyes and said, if it had not been for the grace of God that brought me where I am, I would be dead right now. And so we look at prison bars and razor wire and we look at chain fence and think oh my God I don't think I'd ever want to do that but to some of those men who realize that they were headed to a devil's hell they look around and they don't see that as something holding them in amen they look at that and say that's mercy that's mercy right there mercy brought me to where I am amen and so now from the inside of the vantage point of a place none of us would want to be they lift their voice and say Lord what would thou have me to do mercy can come wrapped in some very strange packages mercy can come amen Amen. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to look at God's mercy and try to judge that. Praise God. Amen. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. There's a lot of people who still feel like they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But I need to warn you today that life, just life, it doesn't have to be sickness, disease. It doesn't have to be prison. It doesn't have to be your family breakup. I'm telling you that life, just life, just life, just life has the power to bring you to, to the end of yourself, to the end of your rope. Amen. People, much like Saul, think they're, they're right in their assumption that there is no God or if there is a God, that's for somebody else or that eternity is just something that you heard your grandmother or your grandfather or your aunt or your uncle talk about and there's not really a reason to turn from your sinful ways and live for God. These are they that need to be interrupted just like Saul was interrupted. If you think like that this morning, you are them that need to be interrupted by the hand of God and if you you are saved in the end and the trumpet sounds and we're part of the bride of Christ. We'll never resent whatever it was that brought us to that moment. Amen. I want to talk about what happens the moment after this time of conversion. You see, the word conversion in its definition is a change of nature or a form or the change of the, of the function of something. 
It's been converted. It no longer is what it used to be. There's a lot of conversion kits that we can buy to change the function of one thing from what it was previously to what it is now. Amen. There's a question that erupts, I think, from the heart of a new convert. When something has been converted, when something has been changed, when something has been revolutionized, and that question is my subject today in Acts 9 and 8. He stood trembling, the scripture said. He stood astonished, the passage said. And then he asked, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Now that's a powerful question because Saul has been changed. What he used to believe was changed in a moment of time on the road to Damascus. What he used to think was changed in a moment of time. What he used to love, he doesn't no longer love. What he used to hold sacred, he thinks is now worthless. And what he used to think was worthless, he now sees the value in it. Hallelujah. Well, you say, well, I may not have had a Damascus Road experience, but I believe we've had the end result of one. Things that used to seem precious have no value. Things that seem to have value, amen, now, Lord, we just say, I can live without that. Places I used to think I have to go, I don't even want to go anymore. Things that I used to think I have to have, I don't even desire them anymore because God removed that from our life. It was all wrapped up in one word, Jesus. In the truest sense, it was the most, it was the most pure conversion. I've been around people that have suddenly become religious, but they were not converted. They got moved by a moment. They got moved by a circumstance. They got challenged by a heel in their path. They got challenged by something that came their way. Amen. But I want to tell you today that there are those that have had an arresting experience with God. And those are doing everything they can to get closer to God. I'm not looking for a reason to stay home on Sunday. I'm not trying to figure out how I can stay home on Wednesday. I'm trying to get closer to God. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to find out a reason not to pray today, not to read my Bible today. I'm trying to get closer to him. I'm not looking for a reason not to worship. I'm going to worship if the song is fast. I'm going to worship if the song is slow. I'm going to worship if the song is new. I'm going to worship if the song is old. I'm doing everything within my power to get closer to him, not to drift from him. Praise God. Now listen, listen, it doesn't matter if you really understand everything that's going on. If the Spirit of God is compelling us, amen, when the Spirit of God compels us, we can serve him with reckless abandon. Much like the blind man that had been healed, I mentioned a service or so ago, amen, the Bible talks about those that ask him, was he this or was he that? He said, I, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I do know this. I'm gonna tell you this morning, you don't have to know how to open a, your Bible and you don't know how to have to, you don't have to know how to use a flip chart and explain to its fullest repentance and the value of it, baptism in Jesus' name and the value of it, the validity of one God and the value of it. I'm going to tell you, you can be compelled by the Spirit to go on what you know. I may not be able to quote you this, I may not be able to quote you that, but there's one thing that I know I was lost and going to a devil's hell, and the Spirit of God came down and got a hold of me and said, Ma'am, you got to turn around. Sir, you've got to turn around. This one thing I know, the power and the presence and the spirit of God, it arrested me. There's something about the power of God that can arrest us. Praise God. 
Praise God. Praise God. I'm not suggesting that we should live our whole life with God and not be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But what I am telling you is don't let what you don't know hinder you from what you have experienced. Don't let what you don't know hinder you from what God wants to reveal to you. It's important to know that someone converted is just not a new and improved version. Amen. This is not just somebody that's had a new paint job. This is not someone that's just had something buffed out of them. They are, the Bible says, we are a new creature, a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. That's the power, the power of true conversion. It prompts questions like, Lord, what would you have me to do? Not what you have somebody else to do. Not what can somebody else do and I just sit back and enjoy the fruit of it, but what would you have me to do? And then be willing to do whatever God says when we ask that question. I mean, if you have a problem being obedient with the Bible, then you're gonna need to ask yourself if you've really been changed by the power of God. And that, I believe, is the lesson that we can learn from Saul's meeting with Jesus Christ. You see, being faithful to, if, you, if we've really been impacted by the word of God, being faithful to church won't be an issue at all. Because we know that the scripture tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So I'm not trying to figure out how not to be here. I'm trying to figure out how to get here. Amen. That means whenever there's a schedule, or it's a scheduled service or a called service. I'm going to do whatever I can do. You know why? I want to use a strong word here. I, I want to be here because it's my duty to be here. It is my responsibility to be here. I know what some people are thinking. Well, I know it's your duty because you're the pastor of the church. I'm talking to every one of us that have been blood-bought. It's my duty to be here. Amen. I'm glad for an appointed place. I'm glad for an appointed time. We've gone through a season, and pardon the reference, but we've gone through a season when we realized that we were not always able to come and do this. And oh, how precious the house of God becomes. I want to make room. Amen. I want to make room for changes in my life. Amen, that's not gonna be a problem. Amen, that's not gonna be a problem if I need to change something. When we have true conversion, everything is gonna be changed. Our likes are gonna be changed. Our dislikes are gonna be changed. Our emotions are gonna be changed. Our vision is gonna be altered. Our personality is gonna change. Amen, we've been born again. It all starts with the question, Lord, what would thou have me to do? You see, there are some people that confuse an emotional experience with true conversion. They come to the house of God, they feel something. And some people think that because they suddenly feel something that they've been changed. But feeling conviction has never changed anyone. Amen, we've gotta be changed and we've gotta be really changed. I'm sure I know I've shared this through the years, but it was so cute I heard Sister Amanda... Uh, Sister Amanda Gibson's grandmother, Sister McNatt, many, many, many years ago. There was a young man in their church. They were still pastoring. There's a young man in their church and he came to her and said that he was in love and he was in love with this other little girl in the church and she says somewhat off-putting. She said, well, how do you know you're in love? And he said, well, because, he said, I, I, when I see her, he said, I can't breathe and I see stars. And she said, well, you can get that same effect when a mule kicks you. So it may, may not be love at all. May not be love at all. 
Amen. Pardon the retelling of the story. It's still true. We can't get what we're we can't get what we're feeling confused with something else. I don't want just a little warm, fuzzy feeling to think that's enough. Amen. I don't want you to think that's something else may be causing that warm and fuzzy feeling. It may be it may be the beat of the drum that you feel. It may be the the swaying of the music. It may be the rhythm of the song that that kind of stirred our emotions. I don't want to just be moved. I don't want to just be touched and then get up and walk out. But we want a divine encounter with God. When that encounter with God comes, we're going to walk away and say, "Lord, whatever you want me to do. If you want me to give up that, I'll do it. If you want me to put on this I'll do it if you want me to take off that I'll do it if you want whatever you want me to do Lord what would thou have me what would thou have me to do and so Saul asked some questions and Jesus sent someone to help him answer that questions after he had been three days in Damascus there was a man named Ananias who, who was praying one day in another place he was praying Jesus spoke to him and told him about Saul now Really, Jesus didn't need to introduce him to Saul because Ananias had already heard of Saul. Anybody in the church under threat had heard of Saul and Ananias hesitated. And I know this has been preached on a lot, but he had been he hesitated because he knew who Saul was and he knew what he had been doing to Christians. But Jesus said, I want you to go anyway. Here's a man that's been converted. Because he said, what would thou have me to do, And then the Lord said, well, I'll tell you what I'll have you, Ananias, to do. I want you to get up and go witness to Saul. Don't you think he got his wires crossed? Are you sure? I mean, he's killed people for saying nothing. So what would he do to somebody that says something? But Ananias went his way. And he entered the house and he put his hands on him. And listen, I, I just love this. He put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. <laughs> Brother Saul. I'm not sure what tune his knees were playing here at this moment. But I'm going to tell you that his hand was on him and his voice said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus said, Appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hast sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forth, he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. You see that step after conviction is to be obedient. Amen, obedient, obedient. What do you gotta do? If I believe if he had just stopped here, he could have lived the rest of his days just a blind man that had an experience on the road. He could have died confused. He could have died bewildered. But when Ananias came to Saul and told him he needed the Holy Ghost and needed to be baptized, there was no questioning. There was no hesitation. There was no argument. Why? Amen, because he had had an encounter that left him saying nothing, but what would you have me to do? I believe there's a clarion call on the church today. Amen, that call is going to the church and our response should be this. What would you have me to do? I don't want to confuse a feeling with emotion. Amen, I don't want to confuse an emotion with a conviction. I want the spirit of God to just move in my heart. Arrest me. Amen, there is no doubt. Saul knew that God had spoken to him. But when conviction comes to our life, obedience will follow it. Saul's conversion happened suddenly, but it but it changed his life totally. 
He put all of his energy and passion and the zeal, everything he had, as much as he was against the church, he is now for the church, holding nothing back. He gave God everything. That is true conversion. Now, if you really get introduced to Jesus Christ and your life really does get interrupted, then you will forever know that Jesus is real and there won't be a friend or foe that can convince you otherwise. We'll know that heaven is eternal and that love and, and that what you love most in this world is not worth anything compared to giving that up for him. Amen. But it starts with one question, what would you have me to do? I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. You see, there, there are multitudes of people who call themselves believers, but they have really no plan for their future. But here's the plan today. It's right in front of us. God wants you to take your abilities... God wants you to take your passion. God wants you to take your energy. And God wants you to use that to change your world. You have influence in somebody's life. And if we tell you that you have to go change the world, you may disconnect. But God is asking you to change your world. Impact your world. Touch your family. Be a witness to your friends. But what that's going to take is a surrendered life. On the road to Damascus, Jesus completely conquered Saul. And I believe he wants to really conquer completely us today of things that would ultimately destroy us. Conquer us so that we can set down some things and take up things of him. Conquer our vision, conquer our dreams, conquer our goals so that he can give us the true peace and joy and happiness that we're searching for. But it all starts with one question. Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, church in some people's mind works a whole lot better if it only involves someone else. Something else. Another family, another life, another husband, another wife, another child. But you see, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us. And we must ask the same question the Apostle Paul, or who would become the Apostle Paul, what would you have me to do? I'm going to ask you to stand. We know from this Damascus Road experience that the Apostle Paul didn't let this flame just kind of wither, fade. He went on to write many books of the New Testament. Our lives have been challenged because we have watched the Apostle Paul after, after this experience. You see, the Damascus Road story would mean nothing if it all ended in Damascus. But because it didn't end in Damascus, we know everything. And so he went on to march forward and to truly yield and submit himself to the will of God. Once someone was talking to a professor about a younger man, it was a, a friend or at least an acquaintance in common. And so the man said to the professor, he called the, 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 the other man by name, and he said, so-and-so tells me that he was one of your students. To which the teacher quickly answered, well, he may have attended my lectures, but he was never one of my students. 
He may have been in class. He may have paid his tuition. But he was never one of my students. You see, there's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. And there's a world of difference between attending church and really becoming a disciple of the Lord. Nothing. Can you hear me today? Nothing will handicap a church any more than saints just merely being distant followers. Can I just speak as a pastor here today? You can't build a church on people if you don't know they're going to be here or not. You can't. You can't build on people that maybe, maybe not. They may participate. They may not. They may support. They may not. And so nothing will handicap a church any more than people just falling way off at a distance. Because that distance gives us time to decide whether or not we want to participate. But when we're in the throes of it, we're going to be all in. All in everything. Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 21, 721. It says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. But then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know why? Because they only showed up for the lecture. And never became students. Our true walk with God begins with one question. And that question I pose to you today on behalf of the scripture. Lord, what would you have me to do? Amen. Can we just find a place to pray and ask the Lord that question today? I want to challenge everybody here. If you don't have the Holy Ghost this morning, there's not a better time, not a better day. If you need a renewing in the Holy Ghost, there's not a better time and not a better day. If you need a renewing of commitment today, there's not a better not, not a better time. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.